Good morning, everyone. I'm Chris Cupid. I'm one of the elders here. It's my privilege to welcome you to. I do hope you feel at home here, especially if you're visiting. And I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. Yesterday, at our member gathering, our Christmas brunch, I was sitting next to Jessica Paul, and somehow, because her daughter was there, all these little girls came and sat in at the table. And so Lucy and Lila were, ended up sitting next to me, and I looked at them and I said, have you heard the news? And they said, no. <laughs> I said, Christmas this year is canceled. <clears throat> and one of them looks at me and says, I think you're joking. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. Christmas is here and will never be taken away from us because Christ came. We're doing our Advent series this morning. We've been doing two, um, two Advent sermons before this. Our theme is Christ is the light. Christ is the light. Two Sundays ago, Nate preached, Christ is the light who overcame the darkness. Last week, Johnny preached, Christ is the light who reveals God. And this week, Christ is the light who gives us life. He gives us life. Ephesians 5 is our text for this morning. Ephesians, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, in case you don't know where it is. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 14. Now, how is this for a Christmas message? Listen to this. Therefore, and this is talking about Paul, this is Paul talking about those who are in darkness. You have been called out of the light into darkness. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all found found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful news of Christmas by which your son came as a baby in a manger to bring us light. We pray that this light, the light of his truth, would illumine our hearts now and that we would learn more of you and the great news that is Christmas. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Look at these passages again. And notice the mentions of light and darkness in these verses. This was very real to Paul. Paul, who had been Saul, traveling to Damascus to murder Christians, Jesus meets him in a blinding light, brighter than the sun. And in these passages, practically, there's a mention of light or darkness every other sentence. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light 
is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them in light. For it is shameful to speak of the things they do in secret or in darkness. But when anything is exposed by light, by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that, is, that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Arise from the dead or from darkness, and Christ will shine his light on you. Now to properly understand darkness versus light, we have to understand there's a lot of symbology in Scripture at the mention of these two words. There are two kingdoms, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of light is ruled by God and his holy angels and servants of his, the righteous. The kingdom of darkness is ruled by the devil, the angels who fell, demons, and the haters of God, those who are disobedient against God and have not been called into the light. There are two kingdoms there in diametric opposition to one another. You could say there's a battle going on between those two kingdoms. Now, to properly understand light and how we have all been called out of darkness into light if we're Christians, we have to, we have to study a little bit the word darkness in Scripture. If you go through and look at the word darkness or do a word search on darkness, it appears all over Scripture. Light and darkness, it's all over. There's incredible symbology with it. And so if you look at all the mentions of darkness, you can take those Scriptures and you can kind of categorize them in three different ways. So the first group would be darkness represents the way of the wicked. Darkness represents the way of the wicked or the way of the evildoers or of sinners. And so we're going to go through a fair amount of Scripture this morning that will hopefully be on the screen. Thank you to the production team. Um, they worked hard on that this morning. So darkness is the way of the, work, of the wicked. Proverbs 4, we'll go through these kind of quickly. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Proverbs 4, 19. John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Ye shall know them by their fruit. Paul mentions in our passage, the unfruitful works of darkness do not partake in those. The people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That defines all of us at some point, does it not? When God brings us into the light, we were in deep darkness. The second category would be those would, would represent God's coming judgment. Darkness represents God's judgment that's coming. First Samuel 2.9, He will guard the feet of, the, of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 and 29, this is the blessings and the curses that Moses delivers to the Israelites before they go into the promised land. If you obey, he will provide for you, he will protect you. If you disobey, it will not go well for you. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. And then the third bucket, the third category would be darkness. Well, first, darkness represents the evildoers. Darkness represents a judgment that's coming upon the wicked. 
And then darkness is the judgment. Darkness is the punishment. So Nahum 1.8, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries, his adversaries, the, the wicked, and he will pursue his enemies into darkness. Exodus 10, this is a literal curse of darkness here. This is the ninth plague that, that uh, Moses calls upon Pharaoh. And each plague was elevated in its severity. And we don't sometimes think about darkness as being that severe. But listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Now, I'm not particularly afraid of the dark, but that sounds just a wee bit creepy, doesn't it? Darkness you can feel. What must that have been like? And this was after some horrible things were done, some horrible plagues. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. A solitary confinement in darkness. Revelation 16.10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Why? Because the time of repentance had passed. God is extremely patient, but his patience doesn't last forever. And he mets out his punishment in wrath, a just wrath upon the wicked. I used to think that hell, which here is going to be a very dark place, I used to think hell was ruled by the devil and his minions. Hell is ruled by God. He is the Lord of hell. It's his perfect wrath. So we, at one point, we were in the kingdom of darkness, and God calls us out into his light, and praise God. But we escape, similar to the, to the reading that Nate read this morning, we escape not just our wickedness, but we escape the judgment that he had in store for us. That judgment was meant for us. So a question here today for you. Are you in the kingdom of darkness? Or are you in the kingdom of light? It's a very serious question that deserves serious contemplation. We should think about that. Jesus says, what is a prophet of man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? There's another scripture that says, our lives are like a vapor. Two and a half seconds when you breathe out on a cold winter day and it's gone just like that. That's what our lives will be like compared to eternity. So it's a question we should consider. If you, this is something that, that bothers you, I would encourage you after the service, talk to a pastor about this. I'd be delighted to talk to you. Now let's say that you're a Christian and you have been brought into the light. And Paul is encouraging you to live in the light and to come out of the darkness, to live transparently before him and before, before men. Let's go back to Ephesians 5, our text just before, the passage just before the text I just read, beginning in verse 3. Now, Ephesians is broken down into sort of two sections. The first half, the first three 
chapters. This is what God has done for us. And then in the second two chapters, the second, uh, second half, the last three chapters, this is our obligations and responsibilities to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Let's pause here for a minute. Have you taken time to listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth? Question, would God be pleased with those words? Verse 5, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let, none, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So question, are you living in disobedience to your God? Or I could ask the question this way, is your sin shutting you out of the kingdom of light? Is your sin shutting you out of the kingdom of light? In verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty or vain words, deceptive words. Matthew Henry's commentary on this verse, verse 6, he says, let none flatter you as though such things, meaning participating in the ways of darkness and taking it cavalierly, as though such things were tolerable and to be allowed of in Christians, or as though they were not very provoking and offensive unto God, or as though you might indulge yourselves in them and yet escape with impunity. These are vain words, or empty words. Thus, Satan also used vain and empty words and deceived Adam and Eve, lied to and deceived them. So don't be like that. Don't believe the lies that your sin doesn't matter. God, the Bible says, God abhors your sin, abhors. And God is not mocked. Next, could you be here? Maybe you're in this category. You've been brought into the light, and your sin has you so beaten down. Maybe you've been in like a Romans 1 spiral You've allowed sin in your life. You've kind of hardened yourself to it. And the next thing you find yourself enslaved to your sin to the point that you tend to doubt your own salvation. You doubt what God has done for you. So I want to say there's hope for you, regardless of which category you're in. And the answer to that is the same for everyone. We must come to God and we must repent. We must bring our sin into the light. Because when we do that, there is life. Confess our sin and repent. Luther says the Christian life is a life of repentance. It's like a spiritual muscle that must be exercised. It's not a one-time thing that we do when we ask to be saved. It's something that we do continually. God will bring sin to our mind, so we must confess and repent. Ephesians 5, 11. 
take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The answer, the anecdote to our sin is to bring it into the light. And this is what God asks us to do. So I would challenge you here today, if there is sin that God is bringing to your mind, before you leave, find someone here that you trust and ask them to pray for you for that sin. We have people here who will be on the prayer team praying later. You can come and ask them, okay? This is what God asks us to do. Bring your sin into the light. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess sin to you today. Would you pray for me, church? One of the things that I struggle with is anger. Now, Nate talked about this a few weeks ago. He said something about when you have kids, it seems to exacerbate it. But honestly, if I'm honest with you, I've had a problem with anger my entire life if I really look at it, right? I have markers that I want to meet for my professional career and my home life, personal. And when those goals and aspirations are not met, I start to get upset. Why? Because in that moment, I'm forgetting God's sovereignty. He has a better plan for me than I have for myself. And if I'm even more honest with you, because when you start to bring your sin into the light, God exposes it for what it is and how awful it is. And if I'm honest, I will say and admit that there have been times where that anger has bubbled up and has become hatred towards those who are denying me what I want. And most of the time, the person who's denying me what I want is God. Now, Johnny, last week, was helping us to remember that Jesus defines sin very broadly. So if we have lusted after someone in our heart, we have committed the sin of adultery. Violated one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus also says in that same passage, if we have hated our brother, we, want, we are murdering them. So... What's really going on in my heart? Honestly, if I'm honest and willing to have it brought into the light, is that there are times where I'm hating God, I'm basically saying that I wish God didn't exist. I want him dead. How awful is that? The lover of my soul, who's done more for me than anyone else. His love is so great, and yet this is how I treat him. So will you pray for me? Will you pray that I'll trust his sovereignty? That he'll heal me in my anger? Our emotions need to be redeemed. And anger is no different. There's a righteous anger. We should be upset about what God gets upset about. Not about the things that we are disappointed by. Not about the, the, the goals that we don't have met. So if you would pray for me. So see, you can do it too. Bring your sin into the light. Confess. Now, Psalm 98, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. I want to encourage you today, this is not as difficult as it sounds. It's the, it's the way that God has provided for us to be brought into the light. One thing that's helpful here is to recognize that all along, Jesus is completely aware of your sin. You are not shocking him. You're not taking him by surprise. He already knows. 
live as if he is standing, sitting right next to you all the time. That will actually help you. It's an encouragement to you. Because when you are tempted to sin, he will not let you face temptation beyond what you are able. Now, what if I told you that right after the sermon, Jesus is going to walk in here, and he's going to come up to you, and he's going to say, hey, I'm going to come hang out with you for the next three or four days. And you get to have Jesus come into your home. You're going to take Jesus to work. It's going to be take Jesus to work day. And he's going to be with you for three or four days straight. Would you feel like you would have to put on a different you while he's there with you for the next three or four days? Would you have to live differently while he's there? I would say if that's the case, there's probably something in your heart, something in your life you need to bring into the light. We need to live transparently before God the same today, Sunday morning, that we are on Monday morning, that we are on Wednesday, that we are on Friday night. We need to be the same today and tomorrow. He is there. He already knows. We can trust him because he's there. Isaiah 50, verse 10. A little bit before I say that, let me, let me add, there's this sense in Scripture where we present ourselves before God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. So we are to come on a regular basis presenting ourselves to God. Lord, here's the sin I'm struggling with. Will you take it from me? Will you help me with this? Presenting ourselves before God. So we need to do this on a regular basis. Try to remind yourself daily to appear before him. Present yourself to him. Keller says, our primary sin or the sin of the Israelites was they forgot God. So remember, he's right there. Go to him, present yourself. That will help you to remember him daily. Isaiah 50.10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Now, I'll be the first to admit when God asks us to confess our sin, I think confession of sin to others who we wronged is one of the hardest things that we have to do as Christians because there could be a concern I could break this relationship if I admit what I did wrong. It's very difficult. And so I want to acknowledge how hard it is. And I would say not, is it, not only is it hard, but it's impossible. It's not natural to us to confess our sin. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it based on verse 50, verse 10, chapter 50, verse 10, and rely on his God. We have to trust him. It requires faith. The other thing we do, we have to remember when we're confessing sin, it can be shameful, embarrassing even. But I would encourage you to remember this. Christ who died for you, he went to the cross naked before the world. And scripture says he put aside his shame. And he did that for you and for me. 
So put aside your shame for him. Bring your sin into the light. John 3, verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be seen, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We do it in his strength. We also recognize repentance is a gift, something that he gives us. It's not something we can muster up on our own. And we thank him for it because he came, because he came, because at Christmas a long time ago, we can be brought into the light. It's an amazing story. Christmas is so much greater than we ever know, will ever know or ever will realize, isn't it? We were in the darkness. He rescued us out of darkness, out of our sin. There's nowhere better to be than a rescue from your sin. The light that he brings is life. To be free of your sin, there's no greater light than that. I heard a pastor say recently, it's so appropriate that Jesus came as a baby. Is there anything more approachable than a baby? You can approach him and bring your sin to him. The other thing to remember as a way of encouraging you to confess your sin is that he doesn't judge you. If you come to him in repentance, he doesn't judge you. Can you believe that? That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Why is this true? Because he's already been judged for that sin already. It's been taken care of. When we look at Christ, his role, bringing us into the light, all he's done to win our salvation, it puts the prophecies of his coming in a much greater light. It makes him so much more amazing. When you think of all the prophecies we read at Christmas time, refer to his coming. Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, their darkness of their sin, on them has light shone. Christmas is so much greater than we can imagine. Paul, when he's on the Damascus Road, was met by Jesus. He's later relaying this story to King Agrippa, who he's a prisoner to, in Acts 26, verse 18. His mission statement, his new mission statement in life, Christ gave him, was to turn to the Gentiles and witness to them. Why? Verse 18 so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Satan's the most powerful figure of this world, and God has given us power over him. He has freed us from him. He had us enslaved and captive in his kingdom, and God has delivered us from that through his light. In Luke 1, verses 76 through 79, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has conceived miraculously she's going to have a baby. And she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, 
who was also conceived miraculously. And these two babies are meeting, and one of them jumps for joy. And Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, was the Lord's prophet who went before him. And he, there was a prophecy that was spoken over him as well in this, past, or, um, in this section of Scripture. And I thought this was very appropriate for here, for this, for this message. And you, child, will be called a prophet, the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit, dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. Light has been given to those in the shadow of death. That included us to guide our feet into the way of light and of life and of peace let's close with the verse where we started ephesians 5 14 for anything that becomes visible is light therefore it says awake o sleeper and arise from the dead and christ will shine on you his light comes, it shines on us. Bring ourselves into the light. There's no better place we can be. Merry Christmas to you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Christmas message, which is way bigger than we can ever imagine. You have rescued us from our sin. We thank you for the process of sanctification. We may not always appreciate it. We may not always enjoy it. But we ask that you would help us to understand this is the reason you came. Nothing matters more than you rescuing us from our sin. And we have been provided a way through Christ who came and died for us. Help us to follow him. Help us to obey him. Help us to love him for all that he's done. We pray this in his name. Amen.